preaching for creating a church culture that fosters racial reconciliation. Starting your sermon prep with a devotional reading of the text where you write out your passage phrase by phrase and line by line. If you're struggling with church growth, you might consider a weekly offering sermon. Every sermon needs a through line. And we have a good conversation about what it means to do funerals. In this episode of The Teaching Pastor, we visit the campus of Fuller Theological Seminary to talk with Lisa Lamb, professor of preaching. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Teaching Pastor podcast. Uh, This is Craig Hill, and I am here in the ivory tower. I mean, this is academia, right, Lisa? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, and with Lisa Lamb, uh, who is faculty here at Fuller Theological Seminary teaching homiletics. How are you today, Lisa? I'm great, thanks. Yeah. Now, this is, have you spent a lot of time up here in the faculty commons? Because it's pretty swanky up here. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah, this is a well-guarded secret from the students. It is, and, and it, it is literally the ivory tower, <laughs> looking is. down upon yes. all the all the students. Yeah, uh, I I do spend a fair amount of time up here in various meetings. Got a meeting tomorrow to award some uh, scholarships, which is kind of a fun, oh, that's good fun meeting to have. That's fantastic yeah. news. That's well, somebody's going to be excited about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, what is your official title here at Fuller? I am an affiliate faculty. Mm -hmm. Are you a a regular faculty, affiliate? Uh, I'm just one step up from you, Craig. Are you visiting? visiting. (laughs) I'm visiting, yes. I've been visiting here for, I've been an affiliate for uh, over 10 years, so visiting is a little bit amusing to me, but I'm happy to be visiting. It is always good to go to make the movement up to the, uh, out of the salt mines, uh-huh. where you kind of hand the canary off to people uh-huh. in the salt mines. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's great. Now, how long have you been teaching homiletics? Uh, really since I graduated, which was 2008, uh, so 10 years. Yeah, uh, I started right off uh, the, the, my final quarter of my PhD, I taught my first classes as uh, an adjunct and uh, with a few interruptions I, I did a year of, of missions work um, and I've been pastoring I've had four different churches that I've pastored half time okay throughout all the years of doing adjunct but I've been and I've done the tour I feel like a Wesleyan circuit rider because I've actually <laughs> I think there may be, there is one regional campus I haven't gotten to. Okay. But basically I've taught at them all some multiple times. So uh, done a lot of, and I pioneered the first PR 500 online course. PR 500 for our preaching, viewers at home. Yeah, yes, preaching, preaching 500. the intro basic preaching course. Uh-huh. Uh, online, what yeah, a beautiful fully, medium. Fully online, <laughs> which was, um, my favorite format is the hybrid where we're online for nine weeks and then we come together for right. a very intensive, very lovely community building week, exhausting week, but a great week. But uh, I'm, I'm learning to make the online format work mm-hmm. and there are actually many advantages of it. People get to preach yeah. in their own churches, which is really kind of great. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. that's great. And so um, what, what 
there, the listeners of the podcast are from varied traditions. We've had, we've obviously had Mike McNichols, who's preaching at mm-hmm. Anglican Church, and probably a lot of the the listeners are in kind of a non-denominational mm-hmm. Bible church, which is my home-based tradition. Um, what's your home base tradition, and where are you um, pastoring at? Oh, I'm a big mutt, Craig. I mean, uh, the fancier, I sometimes call myself a hybrid. Uh, I'm a, a, I'm ordained Presbyterian in the okay. PCUSA, but I actually helped start a vineyard church okay. uh, a number of years ago. And we, in between those two, kind of where we raised our kids uh, was a non-denominational, uh, very eclectic, multi-ethnic uh, church uh, in San Gabriel. Okay. So, which we were part of for about 10 years. So, so you are you are a denominational refugee. I kind of am, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't feel quite at home anywhere. Okay. A little, uh, uh, marginal, liminal sort of existence, which can be a, a, a good thing, gives right. you a good vantage point. Right, and it does help churches to come in with different a different set of eyes. Yes, yes. For sure. I definitely bring some perspective. Yeah. Now you were you said the last <laughs> your last last year that you were preaching at a in a church as an mm-hmm. interim essentially? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And where was mm-hmm. that? That was in Temple City, okay. California, um, our um, um, a PCUSA church. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, um, tell me a little bit about your training. So there's two things I want to talk about because you're preaching a course here at Fuller or teaching a course here at Fuller that is preaching for occasions, mm-hmm. weddings, funerals, crises, and evangelistic opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about that. But before we get into that, I want to hear a little bit about your training and kind of your secret sauce about how mm-hmm. you get from passage to message and, and how that's worked and how seminary and training has played into that. You've probably done your teaching, so you probably have done something horrible like get a PhD or something, <laughs> you know. Um, and you're recovering to some degree from that. But um, maybe just talk a little bit about your training. Where, where did you um, have your seminary experience and where has training taken place? Uh, well, I have uh, quite a varied background. I actually did, uh, I told Dr. Mao that I thought I should get an award for longest from start to finish because I started my um, MDiv and finished it maybe 16 years okay. later. But I wasn't working on it that whole time. Okay. <laughs> and that was at three different seminaries. So Princeton, Andover Newton, and Fuller is okay. what I graduated from in my MDiv and then got my PhD here as well. Okay. Had the uh, wonderful opportunity to work with my wonderful doctor mentor, uh, Clayton Schmidt. Okay, excellent. And um, what was your product? What was your, um, your, your dissertation product? I wrote a book on, well, a dissertation, which became a book, mm-hmm. um, on, uh, well, it was working with theories of social memory. So how does a community remember its past through the stories it tells, the monuments it makes, the holidays, the, ca- the ways it marks time, uh, all of those, looking at all of those sort of anthropologically, sociologically, theologically, how, how does scripture teach us to remember our past, looking at World War II, and then I kind of tried to craft from that a theology of how can preaching teach people to remember the past oh. 
in ways that help them to be agents of reconciliation. Okay. So I was really, where it was all headed towards was racial reconciliation and being more multi-ethnic congregations. Okay. And creating a kind of, kind of a culture for that, from the pulpit particularly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What did you find were um, best practices for something like that? Well, I interviewed a number of pastors of churches that were in the process of becoming more multi-ethnic and uh, asking them about how, the, w one of the big concerns is that if a, if a minority group uh, folds itself into a dominant culture congregation, will they lose their story? Hmm. And so that's where this sort of memory came in is will the dominant culture hold the memories of uh, the other groups well? Will they honor them and, and uh, be advocates for their story continuing? So I, I actually met with uh, some pastors who were really trying to, to uh, be very intentional about that in terms of uh, Japanese uh, congregation becoming more multi-ethnic but still keeping their rice-making festivals or a, a white uh, African-American merger happening where they hosted uh, a Black History Month uh, events at the church, which even when they were a black congregation, they hadn't done in the past. Mm. And so those people didn't know the stories of the heroes of the African-American church as well as they came to when they joined up. Oh. because. Joining caused them to have a sudden urge to be very intentional about their heritage and their so, heritage yeah, and their identity. So, yeah. What well, that's kind of an interesting story about Mert coming together actually produces this solidifying, if you will, of, of identity or at least yeah. the, the the impetus for for forming that or holding it what mm -hmm. once wasn't in a, in a particular form. Yeah, it doesn't always. It can really cause a a sad erasure, but uh, in that case, they, they were really working hard to do that well. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk a little bit about when, when you are, when you have been as a pastor and you're week to week, or um, you're thinking about a preaching schedule, like how far out are you planning and how far out are you working on, on that sort of stuff? What do you tell your students about the long play in yeah. terms of preaching? That is such a great question, and it's so difficult because I have my ideals, and then I have reality, right. as we all do. You know, right. I'll tell them what they should do, and then I'm always kind of <laughs> thinking, well, I didn't always hit that mark yeah. myself. So, what was a practical? But, what was the practical way? Talk about that tension then a little bit. Well, my ideal is more than one week of. Uh, of lead time for any message and so if I can at all possible put in that day at the beginning of a series where I'm really digging deep. I, I tend to preach uh, scriptural series that's I've done some topical series uh, but uh, so if I can invest that day long solid exegetical work and really map out the themes, the flow of the series, then when I'm doing the individual sermons, I, I've gotten the bird's eye view of exegetical work for the book, 
uh, and the history and the theological themes and the flow and the argument and all that. And so then the individual work that I need to do for each Sunday is uh, not such heavy lifting. Yeah, so Monday or Tuesday, it's not a lot of heavy exegetical work. Yeah, it's not starting from scratch. You already know at least the the larger picture. What are you using to to get into the text, like what what sort of resources are you, have you gone ebooks? Are you all Bible software? Do you have a hard time giving up books like me? Mm-hmm. Um, how, how has that analog digital thing worked for you? Oh, I would say, well, I'm a cheapskate on that front. I don't, I haven't bought logos or the, as excellent as, I just saw a demo and I thought, wow, those, that really is amazing. It hasn't quite hit the price point to make it uh, worth the amazing for me personally in on my adjunct salary the last few years. <laughs> but um, and I, I I have found just honestly so many good tools that are free. Yes. So do you want me to name yeah, some name of my some, go-to? I mean, yeah, name Yeah. I I like the Blue Letter Bible. Right tools i like uh feasting on the word okay i just i go there and type in my scripture and usually get to a number of excellent exegetical articles i and like, parallel translations too There's oh yeah a, i know yeah. step bible yeah um greek bible or um i think it's uh, it was great treasures now it's the bible.org yeah. it or just links like that. to so many right. things and lots of things that i don't bother with but but always uh, spend an hour more looking at what feasting is offering okay. for that passage. Of course, it does better for passages that are in the lectionary. Um, and then I go to workingpreacher.org, mm-hmm. and also there's a new brand new site that uh, a friend of mine has been curating. Uh, it's worship and preaching. Okay. Dot org. Uh, it's uh, from the Calvin. Institute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll we'll put links in the show notes yeah. for all these yeah. all these great resources, and there are great online resources. I use Accordance. That I like. Mm-hmm. I put a, you know doing my own exegetical dissertation work. I put a lot of money mm-hmm. and had some folks that um, patrons that helped with that, which mm-hmm. was fantastic. Um, but yeah, finding good electronic resources are um, is fan is great. Um, so I, you're using that, yeah. I do caution my students that some of the stuff that's the the commentaries that are available for free are free for a reason because they're very dated or just never really. Yeah, that's the the internet is this unregulated site of crackpots. And, yeah. um, and that's speaking kindly. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, you and I, we're crackpots too. <laughs> but Absolutely. <laughs> but somebody, somebody's paying us to be a crackpot. Um, so, okay, so we've got, you've got your free or your, um, your online resources. Yeah. And that's where you're doing most of your geeking out. Uh, well, I have, uh, an, uh, we were university staff workers for a number of years. Okay. And so as... And my husband was an author, so we got the author discount, and we did load up on some excellent commentaries during that season. Yeah. So I real I have the full set of the um, ancient Christian commentary, mm-hmm. and I I really try to consult that because I just love listening to the the ancient uh, thinkers, Chrysostom, Augustine, yeah, yeah, Ambrose. So uh, and those you can through the 
Christian Classics Ethereal Library, CCEL mm -hmm. site, you can get to a lot of that for free as well. Uh, so I, I do use that commentary series. And I have just a nice general, um, the Craig Keener sort of overview of the New Testament, mm -hmm. uh, Bible background. Those are the, some of the print things that I go to every time is just... One volume. Um, the sort of, one, yeah, my the one, one volume stuff. The other one volume things that I try to look at are the, uh, the world... Bible commentaries put out by Langham, which okay. is, so they have the Africa Bible commentary, okay. and they have the South Asian Bible commentary, all written by African authors, mm -hmm. South Asian authors, and they're working on a Latin American one, and those just give me, they're excellent scholarship, but they also give me a, a fresh right. global perspective. New eyes, new eyes, global perspective, for sure. And then the one other book that I, I just really often am consulting is the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery. Okay. Just because as preachers, we're dealing in images. Mm -hmm. We want, wherever in the text, we can we can work with the image because we're an audio art, an oral art, and so we're competing against a very visual culture right. or we're trying to cooperate with a very visual culture. Right. And so we need to mine the imagery. What's already there. Yes. Not just yes. find the not contemporary find illustration, the, but bringing exactly. to life this uh, this ancient. Have you been to Israel then to, for, for that sort of stuff? I have. You yeah. have, yeah. Yeah. I was a skeptic. I was afraid that I would be, you know, disillusioned somehow. <laughs> it would be too touristy or right. something. But I, I truly loved it. Yeah, Israel. Yeah, you're talking. I'm. I bel I'm a. You know, it's not Narnia. You, you. Some people think you're going there, and it's going to be, you know, Aslan and the White Witch and lampposts, mm -hmm. and um, and there are places where you feel like, wow, this is this is special. Yeah. And there are places where there are things that have just been built on top yeah. of, and you're like, yeah. I can't, I can't even imagine what it's like. Yeah. But there's also a sense of scale. Yeah. And. Why is water such a significant image? And, mm -hmm. um, and what are farmlands and, and crops? Mm -hmm. and so yeah, there's those kind of images, especially here in Southern California, mm -hmm. farms are disappearing and uh, orchards are disappearing. And so... Um, well, honestly, I was just about as glad that we got to Jordan and Egypt okay. as Israel because I mean, just to be at a Christian conference and meet a man who says, I'm a Moabite, and you see, you go, what, <laughs> in the 21st century? But that's, he, he's from Moab, and it, it, decades and wow. centuries back, he's from Moab. And we had driven through Moab that day, and, or the day before, and we thought, well, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, just, I'm not gonna read the word Moab <laughs> in scripture again without, you know, there's just a texture to it. Yeah. You know, when you, I've met a Moabite. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a great, uh, yeah. a great uh, memo memoir. <laughs> um, okay, so you're back back into you. You've spent your day really hitting the the bird's eye view of your of your series. What does a week look like then when you are getting ready to preach? Um, like what is kind of a are you taking Monday off? Are you taking and starting on Tuesday? How does that work for you as a pastor? I would say, sadly, my Sabbath was Sabbath. The Monday Sabbath thing that I know is the ideal for a lot of pastors didn't really quite, uh, I didn't get a full 
wasn't able to do that okay. in my last year, at least, because I was juggling so much teaching and right. pastoring. Um, so I tended to jump right in on Monday with, but I jumped in, I, I really try to practice what I teach when I preach. Um, and I teach my students that the first step in exegetical work that I want them to do is devotional work, mm -hmm. just enjoying the text and slowing down. And so uh, a few of the ways that I have them do that are just simply reading the passage aloud mm -hmm. several times, mm -hmm. ideally in different translations, uh, and then writing it out phrase by phrase, a phrase per line. Okay. Um, which I get a lot of resistance from my students because it's so slow <laughs> when I say exactly. <laughs> because we so need to be right. slowed down. And you'll see things when you write it out mm -hmm. that you won't see without that slowing down process. Absolutely. So the, um, I find that going back to the biblical languages, I, I mean, I'm... I'm I'm good, but I'm not fast. Mm -hmm. Right, which is... <laughs> which is maybe students can do that as well because mm -hmm. going to the original language is going to force you to slow down mm -hmm. no matter what. Mm -hmm. So is that... so? But reading things out, yeah. writing things out... Yeah, and I do try to uh, work with the Greek. I have to admit that my Hebrew is too far gone for that to be a fruitful <laughs> exercise. <laughs> I never thought it would happen. I loved studying Hebrew, but it did. Um, but uh, yeah, writing and then I and then I try to be prayerful with it, mm -hmm. and I open up my journal and just write for a while, N really trying to set aside the task of sermon writing, but just writing w about the emotions, the right. tensions, the characters, their hopes, their pain, their longing, their conflict with each other, their fears. And, uh, or if it's not characters, my fears and longings as I read the psalm or the uh, teaching of Paul's that I'm encountering. Mm -hmm. So that's what I try to keep Monday for, is very non-scholarly and not uh, really directly sermon prep. prep. Re reading with no strings attached. That's a great not, way to put yeah, it. I've heard yeah, I've another pastor, Dave Gunlock, he had mentioned that some of his most fruitful times are when he is reading, not thinking about this is going to be a sermon. Mm -hmm. But that's hard to do on a Monday when mm -hmm. you know that Sunday is coming. So he talks about reading, um, setting time aside where he's reading passages that have nothing to do with the upcoming Sunday um, and either keeping a journal or something mm -hmm. like that so that when the week does come and he does feel the pressures of that, it's not this tension of, I have to slow down, but I have to speed up because I know I have meetings in the afternoon mm -hmm. sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's probably the hardest piece to guard is, for me, I, I really love, uh, I think Barbara Brown Taylor said, sermons want to simmer. Hmm. And I, yeah. I just love that image of a slow cooking stew that is just going to taste better and everything's going to blend better yeah. if it has that time to simmer or percolate. And so if I, I really try to, by Tuesday, have blocked out a solid, solid block of time where I can be writing. Okay. Um, and the discipline for me, you know, is to just 
put away the phone, the email, and uh, get get the writing get to going. it going. So yeah. that's and that's that really is the you know how this kind of weird, quirky human mm -hmm. creative process. So as you enter into that. What helps you? Like, what is, do you have a muse? Do you have, is it coffee, <laughs> tea? Like, what are the th sorts of things that you need on hand or what kind of locale helps you to do that sort of work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just talking with uh, another faculty recently about deep work, the concept of yeah. deep work and the kind of space that you need to cultivate deep work. For me, I need quiet and I need I'm kind of hermit-like in that. I, I know people who can really do great in a coffee shop or yeah. something, but I, I I really need it pretty quiet and be pretty and still. Still, yeah. yeah. Any music, earbuds, headphones, nothing. No, I just I love to listen to music, but it would take me away right. too much, and so I just I just need a to get into that space yeah. where I'm. It's just. The, the the flow is unimpeded. Um, Where is that spot for you? Do you yeah. have a home office? Do you have an office at, at church? It, it's varied. So last year I, I was able to make that the church office work mm -hmm. for that. But I do have a, a, a pretty um, redwood tree outside my own home office. So that's a, it's a special place and it worked well for uh, writing my dissertation okay and, uh, so I, I do it is probably my ideal sanctuary spot okay. is writing there and the and the the uh, knife throwing into the tree during dissertation writing <laughs> right it's or yes. yeah just uh, so that's that's kind of where you that's where you do your best work mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. the nice quiet Labrador dog curled up okay at my feet always helps. Well, there's your muse. Yeah, she's my muse. Yeah, yeah. good. And then um, when do you know you have a sermon? Oh, wow, what a great question. I mean, because you've got a passage and you have all these phrases that you've written out. Yeah. Like, when do you know you've got whatever it is that holds it together? Is that in the text? Yeah. Is that something outside? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, uh, that concept in... Uh, theater and performance of the through line, you know, mm -hmm. that there's the, the um, motivation is what gets an actor through a scene, but the through line is what gets them through the whole play. Hmm. You know, they talk about that gets them from all the way, the beginning of act one to the end of the play is their, the through line. And I, so when I, I, I know, uh, what is it, Jowett, or, you know, he said, I never begin to write a sermon until I have an outline right. of my, my focus and then my points, and it's all outlined, mm -hmm. and then I start writing. I'm not that way. Okay. I, I write to think. I figure out what I want to say by writing, and it only uh, get. I can only begin by comforting myself with the fact that this is just a rough draft. <laughs> I'm going to be revising it, right? which I think means that I'm a little bit of a slower sermon writer than some people. But it's often as I write that an image will emerge that it, or a twist, the, the problem to solution, the kind of darkness to light that the 
tension to resolution that is in the passage right. kind of gets lifted out in the course of my writing. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily know that in the beginning, but I'm definitely on a pretty conscious hunt for that as I write. Right. For what is that twist and where's that, the, what's the core sort of problem yeah. here that is being addressed? What's the want, the lack, yeah. the trouble, need? Trouble to grace is how Trou yeah, I remember in Paul my Scott Wilson. Yeah. yeah. The, the four pages of a sermon, uh -huh. right? The trouble, yeah. trouble, grace, grace yeah. movement. And, th and that's a good one. I like, uh, I like his thinking a lot. Paul Scott Wilson, mm -hmm. the four pages of a sermon. Yeah. Um, but um, I don't always, it doesn't always mean that I block it out exactly right. that way, but that's always in the background um, because I, I do think that is just kind of the overarching narrative right. of scripture is, we're a mess, <laughs> we need redemption. Right. Uh, and God is graciously offering that to us. Um, and so then you are, you're writing, which means that you're writing to get started, which means that editing, cutting room floor, is where the rubber meets the road for you. It's painful. Killing your darlings yeah, yep. and, mm -hmm. and doing that. What, so what is, what is, how do you, well first, so you get it all out, and mm -hmm. then you figure out your through line, mm -hmm. and then it's time to cut. Yeah, yeah. So how is that pro? What does that look like for you? What day is that happening on? Is it, I mean, yeah, I would say by Thursday, uh, sometimes Friday, I, I'm I'm really rearranging things a lot. I'm uh, I'm trimming. I'm trimming within sentences. I'm trimming whole paragraphs, but. Um, I really do, I work pretty hard and pretty, I get a little nitpicky, I have to actually, that, that process I can get bogged down in, but I, I really, uh, probably one of the most helpful things for me is saying it out loud well before I consider it finished. Got you know, it. like I think sometimes we think, well I'm gonna get to this finished product and then I'll practice it. But I see it as much more of an iterative process that's moving back and forth and that's informed by hearing and mm -hmm. so it's as I say it out loud even in a pretty rough form I realize oh wait this doesn't make any sense this from here to here needs a bridge and if I can't build that bridge maybe that's because these two things <laughs> they, they shouldn't be in the same circle. <laughs> yeah yeah right there's no way that a joint is going to connect right um a, a wrist to a calf it just isn't they're not near each other enough so I have to uh, either move something around or just get rid of some things um, it sounds like you are um, you're uh, transcripting the whole or, or writing a or are you putting bullet points I do I get I, I pair back to bullet points when I uh, can when I have the time mm -hmm. I like to know it well enough that I can pair back to that and not bring everything right into the pulpit but I I I do have a pretty good gift for memorizing or for learning my text pretty well so I don't um, I don't think I'm very I'm real tied to my notes even if I bring in a full manuscript it's more like a, a, a reference yeah that um, I, I 
I like to think anyway that I'm not I'm not looking at <laughs> slavishly and I'm right. well especially uh, preaching weekly right. I got much better at just letting go of it and it was like the trigger but I okay. knew I could just go change it up yeah uh, to to chat with them about things go that I knew were happening in the life of the church or yeah. Things that were happening in the life of the nation. Right. Um, now, having preached in in these different denominations, different traditions, um, you have probably seen from homily to mm-hmm. you know 30, 35, 40 mm-hmm. minutes. Um, what are what are you most comfortable at? What do you encourage students to prepare for? Obviously, they're going to be in their own traditions, but mm-hmm. is there um, what do you feel most comfortable with in terms of either homily or kind of a a content-rich teaching mm-hmm. sermon. Well, uh, I go a little longer than uh, some folks at Fuller. I, <laughs> I know, and that some that I know some traditions. I I'm comforted by Peter Gomes. I was on um, InterVarsity staff at Harvard while Peter Gomes was the chaplain there, and he said any. Any thought worth developing, any theme worth developing is worth taking 30 minutes to develop it well. Okay. Which might surprise you for a chaplain right. at, a, at a university where the expectation is for shorter, but uh, he was a good Baptist, so he, when, he, when he was able to, mm-hmm. uh, he preached a little longer, and I, I think there's something to that in terms of having the time to not just present what you learned, but take people on the journey right. of how you came to those things so that it's a process of discovery for your listeners and so that you're equipping them with good Bible skills. Right, right. So that... Modeling uh, your engagement yeah, with the text. Exactly. Your own emotional reaction to the text as well. Yeah, the process. So I don't... I find that's the piece that often has to go when we're aiming for like a 12-minute homily. Right, right. Um, we're able to teach, but not necessarily Take teach people how on we, that journey. Yeah. Right. And some traditions yeah. aren't expecting that either. Right. So right. knowing your audience, knowing your tradition, yeah. um, whether you're in the, lec- they expect you to hit the lectionary every week mm-hmm. with a homily, or whether you are in a series where you're developing 30-minute blocks. Mm-hmm. And by long, you mean 30 minutes. For me, yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I, I definitely am a guest and enjoy being a part of, not a guest preacher, but I enjoy being a part of uh, African-American services and uh, uh, can uh, Latino uh, Pentecostal friends that I was just with recently. And, uh, you know, if it's engaging, uh, 45 minutes an hour right. is wonderful. Yeah. And I've traveled uh, a fair amount and uh, I, my favorite was, I had done an overnight flight to uh, Novosibirsk in Siberia and then gone straight to church and we were having a sermon translated for us and we were getting quite sleepy but we were in the front row so we were determined to stay awake (laughs) and we thought okay we're doing all right here and then we learned oh no that's not the sermon it was half hour long that's the offering sermon (laughs) <laughs> they do an offering sermon for they let one there of their go. rookies okay. get up and give the offering okay. sermon. Okay. 
<laughs> so I thought, oh, this is a great sermon on stewardship. But no, there's a sermon on some aspect of giving or stewardship every week. Okay. That's half an hour. Then there's a little more worship. Then there's yeah. the hour-long sermon. Now there's a recipe we for church growth, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In Southern California. They were a thousand-person church. There you they go. were doing something right. That's exactly right. It doesn't. Yeah. yeah everything is in its context for sure. Mm -hmm. Now, um, before we get into occasional preaching, mm -hmm. what is it about the preach this process that that really kind of gives you life? And what are the, mm. the sort of things that like you just want to crawl in a ball and <laughs> procrastinate and you'd rather do the dishes or you'd rather do anything rather than that? So what are those things? What are those two different poles in the preaching or the prep process? I would say when it's going well, it is the actual giving of the sermon. I mean, mm. that is what you had hoped anyway, right? Because right? <laughs> it's all, it's not just, you know, me in my office uh, typing away and isn't this language lovely that I'm crafting, but it is when I actually see that, you know, the looks on people's faces and I know that I'm giving a, a word in Christ's name, I'm offering words that are life-giving not through my own talent but by the grace of God I'm actually bringing some hope into a dark situation or bringing encouragement or giving people um, oh I, I had a chance to preach to a mostly non-Christian audience last year with that church with the Boy Scout Sunday which mm. I was skeptical of but it was packed with all these and it was first time in church for almost wow. all of them I was told and I just I was able to preach in a way that engaged them and they were definitely I preached a difficult parable and huh. they were very interested and that was really just a lot of fun yeah. so when that's going well I would say the actual preaching is what's life-giving yeah um, that's a beautiful way you put it too. this idea yeah through Christ, yeah. I'm bringing words of hope. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a beautiful, mm -hmm. beautiful image. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I suppose what makes me uh, want to crawl under a rock, whatever, is when, <laughs> when it's just not coming together. Yeah. It's in that like second day phase where I'm, you know, I've done my own devotional and exegetical work, but now. I'm just not seeing it. I'm think, I, you know, and the little chirpy, chirpy voices in my, uh, you know, the condemning radio station in my head is saying, "There's nothing fresh here. You haven't seen. Mm. You you don't have any. You know, or this congregation won't like this. Or the, you know, just the when the the um, you know the doubts and the have I. It's not coming together. It's not coming together. Right. <laughs> voices that, and I get. Uh, yeah. So when that day's not going well, that's a hard day. Yeah. 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 The internal voice, the internal critic. Can, yeah. Um, yeah. That can be a. Uh, well, well, Kelly will ask me why. My wife, she'll say, "Well, how's it going?" Mm -hmm. And I'd say, "It's horrible uh -huh. until it's done." Yeah. And yeah. Um, because you do have that critic, that critical voice, or the clock is ticking, mm -hmm. and you're no closer now yeah. than you were an hour ago, mm -hmm. or you even spent time doing something, and it's not that's not going to be the, the mm -hmm. direction. And so you're wondering where where this is all. Yeah, where, where it is going to be the direction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that's, and I think everybody who has spent time doing a message 
-hmm. has been at that spot for yeah. sure. Yeah, no doubt. Sometimes they write. Sometimes it is. It's right there. Maybe it is an occasion mm -hmm. where it kind of writes itself, and you have already landed on something that through path, mm -hmm. the clear path, and you know what that's going to be from your when you were doing your preliminary work, and maybe you mm -hmm. already had a sense of that. But you know, when you feel uninspired and um, the passage is either too familiar um, or 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 too obscure. Mm -hmm. And you just don't know how it's going to land. Those yeah. are those are hard hard moments, a hard week. <laughs> yeah, one of the things I offer my students is a collection of quotes from Augustine and Bart and Chrysostom, where they're all reflecting on how hard it is to write a sermon and how poor they they how disappointed they sometimes are yeah. at their own preaching. And uh, it's just a little encouragement that. If these guys felt that way. Yeah, no <laughs> yeah. doubt, no doubt. Yeah. Well, let me ask a question um, about occasions. Mm -hmm. And um, I think as I talk to pastors, one of the things that they say, I ask them, what, what, did, what did seminary prepare you for and what didn't it prepare you for? Yeah. And without, to a number, to a person, they would say what it did not prepare me for were weddings and funerals. Oh, interesting. Those are the things that, even taking kind of the stock homiletics or mm -hmm. preaching class, mm -hmm. uh, you might be taught to exegete a text and to move forward into, into putting it into a sermon. But some of those occasions, like, I mean, even for preaching a tragedy, a, a, a mm -hmm. funeral for a tragedy, a funeral for someone who has been a lifelong believer, mm -hmm. or someone who has, is not a believer, Mm -hmm. um, and so what do you, just tell me a little bit about what you are helping students to do to prepare for those sorts of things and what sort of advice might you have for a pastor who's out there thinking about, I have to do a, I have to do a funeral. Yeah, and I'll just say that that title is, has been updated. Yeah. We actually are doing, we do uh, weddings and funerals and uh, Christmas, okay. Advent to Christmas and then uh, Lent to Easter okay. sermons so, because so register come to Fuller and take this class. Well, I've heard the feedback that people dread the Christmas sermon and the Easter sermon because oh. those are just big moments. Yeah, and they want to do a good job with them. So I decided that we, but I do um, for the the weddings and the funerals. I challenge them because I give them scenarios including uh, a, the death of a baby. Mm -hmm a teenage suicide, mm -hmm. um, uh, the faithful grump, <laughs> the member but who was a Christian but not very well liked in sure. the congregation. And just I give them several difficult funerals mm -hmm. to preach. Um, and then with the weddings, like, yeah, you just met the couple, you know, which is, I think, one of the harder ones. Mm -hmm. you, you just, you've had the premarital sessions and that's it. So... Uh, or, you know, I just give them a few scenarios for the weddings, too. Uh, so that's where the crisis comes in, in the funerals, actually, the crises that we set up for those. Um, but, uh, sorry, the specific just, question just was just... Just the question of, um, well, I'll give what you... What are an, we working on? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you one one little scenario. So my, my grandmother, she passed away, not a believer, mm -hmm. really antagonistic towards mm -hmm. the faith. Um, and then when she passed, I would, and she was very syncretistic. So there was a mm -hmm. lot of different things. Mm -hmm. 
And I was kind of like, wow, I yeah, wonder what this, what this funeral is going to be like. Well, they got basically like a Baptist preacher, and he just basically preached the gospel. And I don't, I, hmm. sh- I don't know if I should admit this, but I was a little disappointed hmm. in the sense that I thought that maybe that her memorial, obviously mm-hmm. we want, I want God glorified, but what about people's memorials reflecting their life? Right, in right. that sense, I, mm-hmm. that so I was. I mean, look, I I love Jesus, mm-hmm. and I want the gospel yeah, to go out. Yeah, and I'm disappointed because I'm at my grandmother's funeral, and the gospel's being preached. But I'm like, this isn't representative of her life. Mm-hmm. I mean, what would you say to someone yeah. like me, like that yeah. I'm crazy, that I, you know, yeah, that I need to love Jesus more? I, I don't know. <laughs> Help me out, Lisa. That sounds like a hard one, Craig. I yeah. I just. Uh, it sounds like there were a lot of competing tensions with the family's wishes and what her wishes might have right. been. And uh, that I don't envy. So let's say you're, let's say you're called, the funeral home mm-hmm. calls you to do that, that funeral. Well, one of the uh, things that we can, uh, I, I My in, grandmother is continually confounding people. <laughs> in my own tradition, yes. a, fe- a memorial service is a worship service. Got it. it needs to be. That's if it's in a Presbyterian church, uh, we're up front from the start that this is a worship service, and it's actually required in our book of order that there be Christian teaching on the resurrection mm-hmm. of the dead, the resurrection of Christ, and sort of that there be a committal that is a prayer of commendation. There's a number of prayers and readings that are required. Right. So I would go to the family. Um, for one, I wouldn't just take a service if the funeral home called. I, okay. I really encourage my students not to be in the business of just being the right. sort of the chaplain to the town. Unless, you know, there needs to be some connection, but that would be one thing is the family would need to know this is what we do here. Right. Is it's a worship service and there will be Christian teaching. Um, and you had, the Presbyterian Church has that built into its yeah, bylaws, so it's which kind is of really a protection. helpful. Right. Yeah. Now, what if you like, and again, I. Which is the same for weddings. Right. Now, let's say you're, you're a pastor, you're listening to this, and. But you have a, a family who, in their time of crisis, has come to you, mm-hmm. and you don't want to send them away. Right. Um, how do you... Yeah, of course yeah. we would say yes. Uh, and I think we just speak somewhat obliquely and generally mm-hmm. about our hope. Um, I think it is, it is always faithful to hope. Yes. And it's, never, it's not faithful. I think the witness of Scripture is... My personal understanding is that there's enough ambiguity on um, some of those questions of who will and won't be in heaven that we can. Maybe I'm hope I'm not getting into trouble here, but well, that we can. We we don't declare <laughs> right with certainty on. There's an agnosticism about the unevangelized or those yeah, who have yeah been, that we don't know. We yeah. leave that into God's and hands, and so we trust God's mercy right. and we preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and what he came to do, and then we just don't declare, and right. we, de- we, um, on, we don't pronounce on this person. Um, 
and we extend our comfort and our hope mm -hmm. and our um, love uh, to that family right and um, yeah and the presence of God with them yeah so. I think that's helpful it, I I've talked with some friends and we've all agreed like we've been to some funerals we've heard some really bad funeral mm -hmm. uh, homilies and we've heard some really good ones and sometimes it depends on the, cir the circumstances but um, you know you never <laughs> I never want to be the pastor who's who everybody's cringing at mm -hmm. at the at the funeral homily yeah yeah and so and I know that you know nobody wants to be that person mm -hmm. um, and I just didn't know how much you help with the coaching on some of that stuff yeah uh, so I do I think one of the things I equip my students with is a, a list of questions to ask the family um, because I think the more we can do to honor the person in a brief portion mm -hmm. of those sermons and that takes some skill when you haven't met the person right so I even as a, a pastor for the last few years started collecting a good set of okay. questions to ask yeah. um, and that could be something potentially I could get a link to you for that that'd be great yeah yeah um, and uh, so I think, for example, I preached f uh, a funeral for a man whose life was just so ordinary in some ways. He was a mailman for mm. 30 years, mm. you know, and just, I don't think he ever traveled beyond 100 miles. Mm. And I just thought, what, you know, this is so ordinary, and yet he was so faithful. Mm. He told his wife, I love you, every morning as he headed off mm. to work, and he uh, told her, I love you, as he walked in the door. Mm. And so I just did the math and counted up how many thousands of times wow. that I love you was said uh, on his way to and from work, and I, I just shared the simplest of stories of fishing with his grandkids at Big mm. Bear and and the, all the work he did around the church. And, you know, I really just dug into the mm -hmm. nuggets within the ordinary faithfulness. And even though I, I had barely met him, I think the family felt really honored. Mm -hmm. And one of the things Thomas Long talks about is uh, that we need to bring the person in. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't want them to overshadow the sermon, but they become a prism through which huh. the grace of God is shown. Huh. The light is shown and sort of refracted in beautiful colors and uniquely because we bring the person in like mm. to act as a prism. prism to see God through even whatever that, mm -hmm. and finding that. That's a the beautiful, shape of that light. what a great yeah. gift to the family yeah. to find that and to see that grace. Mm -hmm. um, that is a, that's a beautiful story. Yeah. Finding the, the, the amount of I love you's over yeah. the years. Oh, it's so so good. taking the time to sit, it, it just took, they are a quiet family, and I just, you know, just sat for quite a while with some long spaces okay. in it just to, to, to keep mining for stories. Mm -hmm. But what finally emerged from it, I think, was really just a life so well lived. Mm. So that, that was a very... Uh, rewarding um, oh, that's experience. great yeah well Lisa we'll end on that that is such a beautiful way to end and um, just great wisdom on 
on what a lot of pastors are going to be a little bit, uh, they don't know what to do necessarily yeah, with yeah. that. And what gift can they give a family yeah. that is grieving and to see God's grace through their their mm-hmm. past relative. That's uh, that's beautiful. So, well, thank you for being part of the podcast and um, love to um, just keep up with you. Is there a place mm-hmm. where we can find you on social media or are you like, forget about that? Or we can find <laughs> you on the Fuller website or what? Is there a place where you are um, publishing or do you have a, a, yeah. a book that's out? Um, no, I have uh, works in progress and I'm actually developing one of the flip courses, which I'm really excited about. Okay. So I will put in a plug for Fuller's leadership platform, which is I think just going to be a really fantastic resource for training uh, non-formal, d- non-degree education that Fuller is launching in the fall. And it'll be, a, we're beginning with a series of six courses in nonprofit management and various things. And my course is called uh, The Bible for Ministry. Okay. So I'm gonna talk about just the various ways we use the scriptures to lead well. And I'm very excited about that. So I'm not publishing a book at the moment. I'm working on my uh, flip course, my Fuller Leadership Platform course so uh encourage you to keep checking back yeah for we'll, that. we'll put a yeah. little we'll put a link into uh the show notes but yeah it's been a real pleasure thanks yeah. for coming out to the podcast all right thank you hope you enjoyed that conversation with lisa great conversation if you'd like to listen to some of lisa's sermons there is a link in the show notes particularly to knox presbyterian church in pasadena So many great resources whenever we talk to people that are teaching this and uh, training folks how to do this. So many great uh, resources come up. We mentioned um, a book, Four Pages of a Sermon, from Paul Scott Wilson, where we talk about trouble to grace as a movement in a passage. Also, uh, Lisa is teaching on the Fuller Leadership Platform, um, and that's going to be a great uh, thing that's going to be launching out of Fuller um, just at the end of this month. Um, We also mentioned a few free resources, um, the Blue Letter Bible, feastingontheword.net, as well as the Christian Classics Ethereal Library, which is a searchable database of some great stuff from uh, the Church Fathers and throughout uh, church history. Also, um, a a good shout out to um, the Africa Bible Commentary, as well as the Asia Bible Commentary um, from Langham Press, and they are, these are great resources to hear voices that you wouldn't perhaps normally here um, in Western uh, scholarship. And so this is a great movement to hear underrepresented voices and to hear how folks around the world are encountering the Bible. So uh, incorporate that into your teaching. That's fantastic. So, hey, uh, don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or visit our Patreon page and become a patron of the podcast. You can go to patreon.com and search for The Teaching Pastor. Anyway, great to have you, and I hope you're enjoying the podcast. We'll see you on the next episode of the Teaching Pastor Podcast.